0: Welcome, Welcome to another edition of the Built for the Storm podcast, hosted by three-time World Series champion, Jeremy Affelt. Affelt brings it, chopper on the infield, Affelt to the bag, himself. get ready to experience life's winding journey.
1: Through the minds of proven leaders in the worlds of sports, business, and entertainment.
0: And he strikes out. That's four straight for Atfield. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Atfield.
1: As they draw up your own personal playbook to overcoming the odds
0: and achieving real success.
1: We just don't give up. We don't quit. You know, how we pieced everything together, man. Seeing teams win like this, the way we win. What's the best way to weather a storm?
0: Run into it head on. Charging full steam ahead. This is
1: unbelievable. You know, unbelievable game seven I mean this will be a memory for a long time for me I'm so happy I got to come to the park today here's
0: the fearless leader of our pack Jeremy affeld built
1: for the storm podcast I've got a great friend of mine. many of you who uh, probably follow the podcast are probably out of the Bay Area. I have a great friend a awesome voice you'll recognize it we have a great show together every week. My guest Tom Tolbert is on the line. I'm still so pumped. Obviously, we know him. Went to like what four colleges when I was looking it up, but Arizona State Final Four, Arizona, Arizona <laughs> University of Arizona, Arizona, yeah, Arizona. I knew I was gonna Dude, piss you off me on that one. On seconds, <laughs> but Final Four, I honestly didn't yeah. even know that, man. That's awesome teammate of Steve Kerr. So I kind of always kind of saw that you guys had a good little relationship. And I was like, you know what? I think there's something else. They they, they hang out like they're buddies. So then I kind of realized that you, uh, you were teammates with Steve Kerr down in college, man. Super awesome. Very intense uh, life, obviously, with basketball. You played overseas even a little bit. But I'm we obviously know we talk about storms, but just getting yeah. into it, man, like the basketball career for a little bit, the craziness of the career, the craziness of playoffs right now, You got a lot of intensity. We just had talked about it before we hit record, and I don't usually do a lot of, like, small talk, but I think it's really interesting. As I'm kind of getting into this Warriors-Kings, this playoff game, I get more intense that than even watching a World Series game, to be honest with you. So, uh, I was super pumped, but give me a little feel. I mean, this is going to launch after this series, but... And the intensity and the, the level of competition, it's not what I'm used to seeing here at the Spurs when I go watch their games. I just don't feel that, what you guys are feeling. Am I, am I looking at that right?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, well, look where the Spurs are at right now. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA, coming off of about 20 years of excellence. I think it was 20 years, right around 20 years, where they had 50-plus wins, uh, five championships. So they're used to a certain level of, of success down there, you know, with Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, yeah. Nobly, By Leonard, uh, David Robinson, uh, my guy Sean Elliott. I mean, they, they had some great teams down there. So they're coming from that. And over the last three, four years, I mean, it, they've really hit uh, a downturn. So, yeah, it, it, when you're a fan, it's hard to lower the bar. And, you know, speaking of the bar, the bar for Sacramento has been as low as it could be. Like, when you walk yeah. into a you walk into Spurs game, that's probably where the Kings' excitement level was over the last uh, 15 years. So yeah. they recently started an uptick. And this year, uh, they were the 3C in the West, made the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. So there, you'll probably remember, we believe team, in, uh, the Warriors team. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you were with the Giants then. They had made the playoffs and I think it was 15, whatever it was, and the crowd was bonkers. You're yeah. just so excited to be in the playoffs. And then they won a round. They beat Dallas that year. So I think that's where the Kings uh, fan base is coming from. Not only are we in the playoffs, like, it's incredible. We haven't got to experience this in forever we get to play the Warriors. Yeah. We're nine miles away. Who, yeah. are the defend, who are the defending champions. So now oh. you get this robbery that really has never been a robbery because they've never – I don't think think—they've ever been a year where they've been in the playoffs together, let alone played one another. So, you know, you get this kind of quasi-Kings-Warriors saying, you know, there's a lot of buddies and friends out there. Oh, man. One's a Kings fan. One's a Warriors fan. One was probably a Warriors fan, and then in early two thousands, they're like, "Well, I just root for the Kings because they're good. You know, they're they're fun (laughs) to watch." And then you probably get Kings fans are like, "Oh, we suck. Let's just let's say let's let's jump on the Warrior bandwagon because they're winning."
1: Yeah, yeah. This
0: whole cross pollination of this fan base up here in Northern California, uh, the Kings have always had great fans. It's just when you don't have a lot to get excited about, yeah, eh, you you kind of go into a dormant state. So. They've been revitalized, reawakened, and the building here in Sacramento is jumping. So it has been a lot of fun. Like, I've covered a lot of worry games and a lot of worry games. Uh, as far as first round, this is as good as it's gotten, just oh, because man. of that at the Kings and Warriors. It's been a lot of fun to cover,
1: and that's what I've been seeing. Like it just feels intense. It's the first round. Yeah, I, I know a lot of guys that they don't even pay attention to the first round. <laughs> you know, it's like ah, whatever. Yeah. But this one yep. here, it is just even. But across the NBA, I mean, the Lakers, all these games have yep. been so good. You know, and I. But man, good thing for California. I know, like with the Giants yeah. struggling, Oakland. Pretty much non existent, and they're now they're punching out, you know, like man, to create the Bay Area no matter what. Football this year was awesome, basketball, now there's an intensity. Kings, like you said, not that far away. Just the whole West Coast, Northern California sports fan base. I don't care who you root for. This is a good, this is a good, shoot, decade of sports. If you think about it, you know, it's awesome. It could be, it feels like Boston.
0: Yeah, going back to, to when you guys won in 2010, there have been three championships for the Giants. There have been four for the Warriors. There have been oh, two Super Bowl appearances for the 49ers. And then the Sharks were really good for a while. They have hit on hard times recently. But it was like, uh, to be a sports fan in the Bay Area, you just started rolling seasons into one. And it's like, okay, the Giants are over. Now it's time for the Niners. The Niners are going to be really good this year. And starting in about 2014, uh, it was like, oh, the Giants are kind of trailing off a little bit. Oh, here come the Warriors. Oh, the yeah. Warriors are winning championship after championship after. So, it, yeah, over the last 10, 12 years, to be a, a Bay Area sports fan, uh, you couldn't ask for much more because every season that rolls around, you're pretty excited to watch how it unfolds.
1: And you do all sports, right? Are you doing all sports? Yeah. Do you do football?
0: Oh, yeah, we talked about yeah, yeah. Uh, football. I mean, football yeah. is a big topic, uh, obviously, a uh, flagship for the Giants and the Niners. So those are big topics. Warriors are always a huge topic. And, you know, and all the other national stuff that's going on. But, yeah, anything that's going on, you know, we used to have – Uh, Drew Amenda, who calls games for the Sharks on after every Sharks playoff game and talks Sharks hockey. I love watching Stanley Cup playoff hockey. So uh, they haven't been doing well lately. But, yeah, I mean, I love all sports. I've always been a huge sports fan my entire life. So I grew up, whatever season it was, that's what I played. That's what I was interested in. Oh, so that's still gosh. the
1: same there. Yeah, I, I would think for radio hosts, man, like this is a great area too. At least you have something to talk about, fun stuff, yeah. energy. I mean, if you had nothing but losing season, they'd be a rough go. You'd be a bitter person at home because all you do is talk negativity all day, you know? So I think it's awesome. That
0: that's you, what uh, fourth talk's all about though, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I mean, not with you. That's I a like point. That are good. It's more fun to talk about positive teams, but man. Yeah. Like uh, I don't know if fans like to be negative or hosts like to be. That seems to draw most of the ratings some of the time when you know the fans get to come on and tell you who should be playing, what lineup should be playing. Yeah, everybody's a
1: GM when you suck. <laughs>
0: every, every, everybody's a genius. Like, oh, I know how to do it. Well, then what? What, what do you mean you know how to do it? Yeah. yeah. Well, why are not you doing it then?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I can see that too. Drama, man. Drama feeds people and lets yeah. them air their freaking yeah. anger. I get it. I always thought that when in the, in the uh, playoffs with the Giants, every time we'd be, or right before, I remember when I had to be a part of the uh, committee to kick Baggerly out of the clubhouse one year. <laughs> it was because he just wanted to sue drama. I'm like, bro, we're winning. Why, why cause Drum? Because they don't know what to do with good teams. They're like, ah, let's become TMZ and fire something up real quick. You know, like it's just like it's just. I get it. Well, it's, it's funny awesome.
0: because I think I mean and I I do have some sympathy for journalists nowadays because there's so much out there that when there's nothing going on, you still have to write something. And You have to find something that, that's happening and find a story that nobody has. And if it's not them, it's their editors that are pushing them to, to get stuff that nobody nobody has. So, I mean, there are instances of that, but I do uh, have a lot of respect for those guys. And I'm sure a lot of times they're like, I don't want to write this or I don't want to say this or I don't want to – but. What are you going to do? I yeah. mean, when there's, like, only so many eyeballs out there and everybody's, you know, competing for attention nowadays, you you try to get the one-upsmanship, ups, which is why, uh, you know, I, I try not to pay attention to that. I try to stay off Twitter and try not to deal with that type of stuff yeah. because I'm with you. I just want to watch good competition.
1: So when you played, though, you played – I mean, you played seven years in the NBA, right? You weren't you, – how was the media – you think it's the same thing it's harsher now you think it's you think it's like ah, i it was softer back then or with social media they have so many more platforms there's so many more yeah. rumors that can hit literally within seconds you can change a whole day by one rumor on twitter at 602 a.m and it happened at 601 you know but before yeah. when you played and it, obviously i wasn't even social media was just starting as i was running yeah. as i was leaving but Man, before that, it took a while for all that stuff to generate some some traction. Do you see media being a little bit more, do you think they stir it up more now, or do you think it's just different?
0: I think it's totally different, because back when I was playing, it was the newspaper. Something yeah. broke. You had to wait until the next day to read it in the newspaper. You got to know your local beat writers really well, because that's really all there was. There wasn't somebody coming in uh, asking a question for some website you would never heard of. Or some, uh, <laughs> it just it, like it, like now again, everyone is competing for eyeballs now. So yeah. everyone's got to have something a little bit, a little bit different. And let's be honest, that's just a human appetite too. That's why uh, if you watch the local news. Uh, it's. I, I think this thing still holds true today. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, so that's gonna true. They're going to put on the negative. They're going to put on the negative stuff first, and then a guy who's doing great charity work uh, down in the city, or doing you know, uh, rescued a thousand puppies or whatever. That's going to be like a buried beneath the weather. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear about the good stuff. It just makes them feel bad because they haven't done anything like that. <laughs> exactly. So they, they want to read about somebody being miserable. Yeah. So I, I I think, unfortunately, there's a negative bent to it that, that wasn't quite there. But, yeah, absolutely, with the, the ability to just get on your app and type boop, 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 and send it out. And people, I think a lot of times, don't necessarily care if they're 100% accurate. They'd rather be first than accurate, where before – You know, the newspaper writer, you had to go through your editor, and they had to read it, and then it had to go through a a process of scrutiny before it ever made it into the newspaper. So you could trust that most of that stuff was 100% accurate. But today, who knows? To me, it's just about, hey, let's get something that's attention-grabbing and get people to read it, and we'll get the click on our website or... you know, on our yeah. active, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely definitely changed, and uh, some for the better, I guess, but uh, a lot for the worse.
1: Yeah, yeah. you said it's like below the weather, I look at it, it's like oh, the fifteen second spotlight. Yeah, Tober, exactly. Uh, Tober exactly. fed somebody the other day. Okay, now somebody got shot. Like it's like yeah, you yeah, just yeah, real it. quick man, <laughs> yeah, <this>, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so I'm watching. I know there, we, we talk storms, but I like to pick brains on this situation. So. Yeah. From your perspective, as a baseball player, we didn't have a lot of freakouts. We didn't have a lot of like, either you didn't really have trash talk in baseball. I mean, your trash talk is you punch a dude out or you they hit a homer. They bat flipped it or yeah. they gave you a little <laughs> fist pump. you know. That was our trash talk. You know, the bums of the world, man, they, they yell and scream. And, you know, there's not a lot of that, though, that go yeah. on. But, like, when I watch the NBA, and my son plays basketball and football, and I know they're trash talk. Football, I know he yeah. is. I just can't he's just lucky. I'm like, I, cause I don't like him when he, I said, Hey man, you better back it up. Or how about just play? Well, I know he's saying stuff, but I just can't see it cause he's in that freaking helmet. And I'm like, you're lucky. I can't, I'm gonna <laughs> figure out a way to get under that helmet. I'm going to walk. Like he always tells us, like, I'm going to sneak a <laughs> microphone in there. That helmet's not going to protect you. But on the basketball court, you know, they're saying stuff and I can see him kind of fish eye me in the stands. Cause he's <laughs> trying to figure out if I'm looking at him before he pops off to a guy. But I look at basketball. It is a big hype, but, like with Draymond Green, is he a yeah. – I love watching that entire team. I, I, I like the yeah. mental, psych, psychological aspect of the game. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. So do I think that Green is a – I'm trying to figure out, is he a Dennis Rodman-type scenario? And so Steve Kerr's like, dude, this is perfect. This is what I need because I have yeah. to sell the Bulls. Or – and I know Green's a lot about head getting in there because when he gets a technical foul, he claps, and, yeah. and he, I can see yeah. he does it. But do you think there's – what causes a guy on a team, on a basketball team, to be your guy that way? Is he a guy that he, he's just stirring up? He's a bad cop, okay with the, the spotlight well, of being a bad guy? I, I think a lot drama. of it is
0: probably where you grew up. Like a lot of guys that play at the mm. park, uh, used to play at the park anywhere. Great huge point. Trash dot guys, huge trash stock guys. And I think, yeah, it gets them going. And if they can get inside your head and take you off your game, then it's a win-win. Because I'm, I'm I'm, hyping myself up. I'm getting myself going. And I'm also getting inside your head. And, look, we had guys like that uh, when I was playing. And Gary Payton was an incredible yep. trash talker. Larry Bird, incredible trash talker. Like, these were guys that would oh. just needle, needle, <laughs> yeah. needle. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can either buy into it, get mad at them, or just keep focusing on your... On your job. I didn't say anything. I wasn't good enough to say anything. I, I just, what about my business? Let yeah. everybody do their thing. If I was having a good game, I'd just keep it to me. i just keep on going. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, move the line along, basically. So, I, I don't know, because uh, I didn't do it. But, yeah, the NBA, I think, probably... I don't know if it has as much tra- – it probably has as much or more trash talk than the NFL. But the NFL, like you said, you can't tell because the guys have helmets on. But it's always been a part of yeah. the NBA. Uh, and not everyone does it. There's a lot of guys out there that uh, that don't do it. Yeah. Like on my team, when I played, uh, three Hall of Famers uh, on my team, uh, Chris Mullin, Mitch Richmond, Timmy Hardaway. Sorry. Mitch Richmond did not talk. Chris Mullin did not talk. Timmy Hardaway, however – Talked enough for everybody. That guy would (laughs) trash talk his shadow. He he tried so much. And that's just who he was. I don't know if it was because, you know, growing up uh, uh, playing park ball in Chicago, always being the smallest dude out there, probably not uh, being taken seriously, and then just going out there with a chip on his shoulder all the time and kicking people's asses and just letting them know about it like yo you better not judge me by my size cuz i'm going to you know knock this crossover on you i'm going to hit this j on you and, yeah. and he he talked and let you know about it so uh a, a lot of it is just personality like who you were uh how you were raised but basketball has always had that that's always been an element of basketball that uh, and sometimes it goes overboard uh, there's no doubt about it i it's interesting when we talk about it cuz in like uh in relation to baseball, where I always felt baseball players were looking for stuff yeah. to be upset about. Like, yep. why did he do that to He's showing me up, and I was like, No, he's just excited. Yeah. Like, yep. It, yep. I remember yep. the Jose Bautista home run that everybody got. I'm like, If you can't bat flip a walk off home run in a playoff game, and good night. Like, what are we, <laughs> what are we doing out here? Like, you can't yeah. be excited at all. It's like, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I always used to talk about Madison Bumgarner. It's like, why are you always looking for stuff to make you mad? Like, yeah. why? Yeah. And then you realize that's who he is. Like, it, it, I, I can make a comparison with Draymond. Like, you take the good with the bad. Like, if Madison Bumgarner didn't have that in him and didn't want to always play the sheriff and wasn't always for tolling hitters and get yeah, that, then he wouldn't be who he is, much like Draymond. You know, you take the good with the bad. If Draymond didn't go over the line occasionally and didn't get teased, and you know, I know he probably would have been great if he wouldn't have stomped on Sabonis. But like, he, this is how he reacts. This is who he is. This is his fire, his passion. That's what makes him the player he is. So you you have to have that. But I, I think uh, you know, I always thought with baseball, guys should be allowed to celebrate spontaneously. They're not showing you up. They just have general excitement for what they've done, and I felt like baseball suppressed that. With basketball, sometimes it goes over the line, where guys are just doing like, they used to do the throat slashing gesture before yeah. the NBA. I'm like, what are we doing out yeah. here? Really, we're doing that? Yeah. And I've always said, look, if you want to get excited and be excited, then by all means, be excited. Just don't embarrass the other player. Yeah. You know, and that that's where we get into a little bit of beauties in the eye of the beholder, like, well, what's embarrassing another player? Some player may say, Well, that's that he's trying to embarrass me. And the other player would be, well, no, I'm not. I'm just having a good time where another player would want to celebrate too. So it's trying to find that happy balance between, look, if it's spontaneous, it's not choreographed. You're just excited for the moment and having a good time. I'm all about celebration. Sports should be fun. And the fans are celebrating. You should be able to celebrate as a player. But I think when you go over the line, you know, when you dunk on somebody and then step over them and look at them, now you're embarrassing the other player. You pick off a ball in football and you hold the ball in a guy's face, that's embarrassing right. another player. Just be excited, uh, be excited with your teammates without trying to embarrass the other uh, 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 players because everyone that's played professional sports knows how hard it is and everybody's out there competing and sometimes. You get the better of somebody. Sometimes they get the better of you. That's just the way uh, that game works. So uh, again, it's kind of hard to find a balance in that. But that's kind of the way I look at it.
1: Yeah, mocking is where you cross the line, man. I don't mind yeah. celebrating, trash talking, part of it. Mocking, yep. that's yeah, that's where you're gonna. It's just you just you, you, you hit a you hit a nerve right there. You know, you're gonna yeah. hit a nerve. Yeah. Like like I think that's where for me. I remember I you know if if you bat flipped on me, all right. You got me, but if you bat flip and then, like, look at me or make an antic towards me, now you and I are going to have an issue, you know? Like, for me, just like when I strike out and I get excited, I get excited, but I didn't like it even. If a pitcher got excited, punched a guy out, walked off, and then just stared at the hitter and was, like, trash-talking, that's going to – you cross the line, you, you, you're going to cause a fight, you know. So yeah. I get that the mockery side of things. I agree, though. I I think I, I watched the fans in in Sacramento when the Draymond thing happened, and they were yelling at him, flipping him off, yelling, screaming. Yeah. But if your reality is correct, if he doesn't now that little much to stomp. I'm I'm not I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that, <laughs> but but <clears throat> I think every fan should know that. Yeah, but if he if there wasn't that energy on the court, really, would it be that much fun? Would it be that much yeah. fun if he, if he, if he was like reserved? No, it wouldn't. He actually yeah. brings the energy to the game. Like it is, Curry, those guys, they bring energy. Draymond just brings his own energy, so I wouldn't take it from him. But I could see why they were a little little upset on, <laughs> on the stomping part of it might have been a little much but i mean hey man getting in the heads of people yeah hey man he's just trying to do everything he's got to do to win and and sometimes that's how i see it as well i, I think he just he yeah. just went too far but it's, and you stopped so you played but you stopped and i read that you retired when your oldest was born is that correct
0: that's correct is that when yeah, you retired? Was-
1: yep. and how old's weston now weston
0: is 27
1: 27 and your kids how many
0: Three. Weston's twenty-seven. Walker's twenty-five, and uh, our youngest Haley just turned twenty-two.
1: So you're empty nesting. You're everybody's out.
0: Well, <laughs> not kind, quite, of, uh, kind, kind, of, kind
1: of, of, kind of. Not
0: <laughs> quite empty nesting, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, our oldest. I'm a, I'm a grand, uh, grandfather oh. though. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Weston has a grand uh, has a, a daughter named uh, Camila uh, then, uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. She's, she's She's the
1: best ever. Oh, that's awesome. You know, that's what happened when we got married. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. So when my wife and I got married, I laughed. I said, you know, that was just an interesting marriage. And she goes, why? I said, well, you were an empty nester. You had a baby at 17 and she's 30. So her daughter's 30, right? So my wife's 47. And so she has a daughter that's thirty. I said, "You married and you have a fifteen, a twelve, and a ten-year-old boy now that you have moved into the house with." And I have inherited a granddaughter. So I said, "I don't understand how you became a young, a mom of young kids. I became a grandpa in one marriage. Wow, (laughs) it is unbelievable." I mean, people, they're like, "You're a grand." And I remember I had a picture, a family photo, and I just was holding. Well, I was holding uh, my baby and my granddaughter Harley, and I was holding her, and someone goes wait whose baby is that i said well it's i'm a grandfather like please don't tell me that's what because walker's 15 so people are like walker's got a kid I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> the people are freaking out you know it was like about broke the internet when i took a picture of my granddaughter with me yeah. but but okay. no man i'm over with you man I, and honestly i say i'm 43 i probably shouldn't be a grandfather but I love it, man. I freaking think it's awesome. Dude, half, and it's so this true. This like you hold, yeah. you hold the baby, yep. you play with her. And then all of a sudden she makes this face to start crying. You're like, huh, here you go.
0: What? I, <laughs> her <right>
1: back. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to try to figure out why it's why she's crying. I don't feel no, I don't figure out anything. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it was so funny because my wife handed me the baby and she said, and I handed and I held her and she's like, Oh, Went to the bathroom. Whoever was holding holding the baby changed. I changed that diaper like a champ. And she looked over at me and I gave her a wink. And I was like, yeah, I'm a lot better looking now, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Still got it. Still got it. It was (laughs) awesome. So you have kids. They're grown. So life, let's just say cruising along. Like, you know, you're doing RV trips and having a good time. Mm -hmm. You're doing your thing. But then life takes a turn. And my, my thing with storms is I was like, you don't even know when they're coming, you have no idea. They're inevitable. They're going to happen. You just don't know how they're going to happen. Sickness, health, marriage, divorce, kids, situations, whatever they happen. But yours, yours was kind of sudden, right? Like, yeah. like help me understand your storm. You woke up one day and you 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 had an aneurysm. Like how, how, how does this, how does this go down?
0: Well, I will uh, – so there's actually two. Okay. One that you uh, – I, I can get into that uh, after this one. Okay. I not really talked about it a whole lot. But, yeah, the first one uh, – so I'm actually sitting there. Uh, it was, I think, August 31st, 2017. So I'm doing what I normally do uh, on any given night, uh, especially that time of year, you know, that Giants game's on. So, I usually record all the games, and then after everyone goes to bed, uh, my wife goes up, and she'll usually watch her stuff or, or or watch videos or something or just kind of read and get ready for bed. She goes to bed earlier than I do. So, that's when I usually watch all my games. Like, I record all my games, uh, NBA games, uh, baseball games, and watch them later on. So, I'm watching the Giants game that night, and it must have been around 9.30, and so just sitting there, normal evening, watching the game, probably having a beer, and all of a sudden I get this pain in my uh, in my shoulder blades, uh, in, in my upper back. And hmm. I'm thinking, God, you know, I thought I was like, you know, got a cramp or trying to stretch out a little bit. So I'm stretching out, you know, just uh, taking my shoulders and rotating them forward and back and forward and back. And now it's not quite working, and it's kind of a... I, I don't know how to describe the pain, but it's almost like two needles being shoved into you. Mm. Like it was pretty, pretty isolated. And then all of a sudden, my temples started hurting. Both of my temples were hurting. They were like throbbing, and I, I was getting kind of pain in my temples. I was like, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah. So then I laid down on the ground for about five minutes. I was like, "Okay, let me try to stretch out on the ground." I go, "Something's not quite right." And then I got a cold sweat. So I go up to Lori and it was probably about, I don't know, 10, 10 30 at this point. And she had the lights off and she was going to bed. So I lay next to I lay next to her and I'm just laying there. And yeah. I said, Shugs, and that's what I call her Shugs. Yeah. So I go, Shugs, I go, I go, something's not right. I go, and she goes, she so she wakes up, like, you okay, what's going on? You okay? I go, I don't know. I go, something feels weird. I just I got a cold sweat, and my, my back's hurting me and my temples are both are both throbbing. So she turned the light and looks at me and I guess, you know, I didn't look very uh didn't look very good. So yeah. she said she said, All right, let's get you to the hospital. So uh yeah, there's a good joke there. You don't look very good at ten o'clock at night, <laughs> yeah, but uh yeah. I don't know that I look very good at any time of the day. So <laughs> He gets me in the car and we drive over to Alameda hospital. So it's like four miles away. So not far to go. So I just want to go over there and find out what's going on. So they admit me, they hook me up and I'm just laying there on, on a table and they're hooking me up, running through these tests and trying to figure out what's going on and they can't, they can't find anything. And it was probably, God, I don't know how long I was there. Three, four hours, I guess it could have been a little shorter. uh, I'm not sure. So, they finally found out. I don't know if they did a CT scan or whatever. There was my aorta, and it, it needed to be looked at. And Alameda isn't a huge hospital; they don't really have uh, those type of doctors on staff. So right. they said that they're going to send me to UCSF or Stanford, whichever is uh, available first. It, it ended up being uh, a Stanford. So, and she told, uh, and I didn't know that she told uh, my wife Lori this. That you need to call the kids, have them come down here because, yes, this, you know, this is life-threatening. Oh, Uh, man. Yeah. So, and I'm still, you know, sweating, and I'm figuring, I kind of thought it was going to be the aorta because my dad, who uh, passed away a couple years ago, he went through, oh, my gosh. They said it was like 22 surgeries. I don't know if they're all major, but he had all kinds of stuff going on. And his aorta uh was, was a the mess. I mean he had a I, I got a score like from the top of my top of my chest down around my sternum. But he wow. has a zipper. Went all the way down his chest because they he did the top of the aorta, the, the descending aorta, the bottom of the aorta. So oh. I kind of figured that surgery was coming. I didn't know it'd be as serious as it as it was. So anyway, my son was in Sacramento going to school. He comes down and then Walker's there and Haley comes over and they put me in the back. So the ambulance get there and they put me in the back of the uh, the ambulance. And <laughs> I have Haley. Uh, she can't find the name picture. I wanted her to find the picture. But yeah. anyway, I had her take a picture of me. They were putting me in the back of the ambulance and I gave two thumbs up. Like I was just looking at the camera and I go, two thumbs up. And I go, they got me. Yeah. They had me like, uh, I was like, I look like a prisoner. They were loading into the back of a, an ambulance, taking me off of it. Uh, so uh, and it's funny because people go, how do you? Like, you're, you're like in uh, a severe pain, you're going to the hospital, uh, it's serious. How do you give thumbs up? And I'm like, I don't know. I go, what else can I do? Yeah, you know, and my I'm
1: kids, trying I'm trying to calm down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I try to keep it. Well, I try to keep it light for everybody, like myself included. I'm like, yeah. what else can I do? i got to trust the professionals are going to do what they're going to do. So I got a 90-mile-an-hour trip down to Stanford, which was pretty cool. Just in yeah. the back of the I was just zooming down to Stanford. I wish I could get down to Stanford that quick. I <laughs> yeah. want to put one of those lights on the top of my car and get yeah. down there in like 10 minutes. So it's funny. So I get down there, and the, there was all kinds of construction uh, at Stanford at the time. So the ambulance driver pulls up, and he goes, I thought we were supposed to go this way. I thought, oh, he goes, I don't know if we can get in this way with the Endurance. It's blocked off. And I remember telling the guy, hey, don't worry about it. we got time. We're good. Don't <laughs> worry about it. So you know, take your time. Yeah. Just make sure we're safe and yeah. make sure nobody gets hurt, and you know, we, get, we get to the front. So we get to the front, and uh, they take me and put me on the table, and they're doing the doing all their tests, X-rays, and stuff like that. And I remember telling the doctor, "I go, hey doc, I go, uh, what, what do you think we got here?" And he goes, "We're looking," uh, and you know, uh, I don't know if he said we're probably gonna do surgery. He, I don't think he knew. At the time, uh, what was going to happen, I go, well, we're all counting on you, especially me. Yeah. So let's uh, let's make sure we get this done. Yeah, get it so, done right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, they uh, put me under, and the next thing I know, I wake up, and the first thing I see was uh, one of my buddies, uh, best friends Craig Bergman was there, and I just kind of see him. And I said, "Oh, damn! I'm still on Earth. I'm seeing your ugly butt. I'm <laughs> yeah, still here." Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So then, after that, they put me in the. Uh, so I've been. The, I was in the hospital for for a week. Uh, what I didn't know at the time was I had what they call a aortic dissection.
1: Yeah.
0: And so there's three layers, I guess, of the aorta. There's the the outer, the inner, and then the middle section. And I guess the doctor said, uh, uh, dissecting aorta, is it, is it all kind of unravels. Like the whole thing is just like, and he goes, once that happens, he goes, it's pretty much lights out at, at that point. And wow. he goes, you're lucky that we opened you up. And he goes, we got to it before. Like right as it started doing that, he goes, we were already in there. So we we're able to, to get things going. He goes, we had to put your, you know, your... Your brain, your head on ice, and and just yeah to slow everything down. He goes, we took. They said, I think they said they took all my organs out. I was like, wait, what do you mean? They took them out? He goes, yeah. He goes, they all look great. I go, well, fantastic. (laughs) He had a bird's eye view of everything, so (laughs) I don't got to worry about that. Yeah, for a little while. So it's a little more extensive than I thought, and I'm glad they didn't tell uh, Lori and the kids yeah. and all that because that would have freaked them out even more as I was in there going through it. You know, they, they decided to make normal aortic surgery and uh, be in, be out. So, Is this genetic? Yes, yes, as a matter of fact. Okay. Uh, they ran that DNA test, and my son, Weston, actually has it too, so he's got to get, like, every year, he needs to get his MRI and his CAT so they, really? so they can keep an eye on it. Yeah, they, say yeah. they, can't, they say they can't stop it, but at least it won't be a an ambulance ride trying to get to the hospital before something catastrophic sure. happens. Sure, he can be proactive be, too because of that. Yeah, sure. exactly. They'll <clears> say, okay, a year before a time. Okay, a year ahead of time. Okay, now we're noticing this. Let's take care of it now. And yeah. by the time he has to go through it, it'll all be done octoscopically anyway. I would uh, assume. I yeah. would think I do not recommend getting opened up. It's yeah. not. It's not super fun. Uh, yeah. The scar is cool. Yeah. but other yeah. than that. And uh, not something I recommend. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I found out all that. I didn't even find out all that until uh, I did an interview like a couple months later. They were talking. I go, really? Because they, they did wow. all that. Damn. Yeah. I, knew, yeah. I knew it was an aortic dissection, and I knew how serious uh, it was. Uh, so yeah, so I was in there for a week and recovering. And I, I remember about five days into it, they said, "Okay, let's get up and walk." And I'd been, I thank goodness, let me get up and walk. in in and. Yeah. and, and, and this process started. So I got up and started walking and after about 15, 20 seconds of walking, my legs were shot. Just shot. You know how you get that lactic yeah. acid bill up yeah. and everything's like real tight. So I'd sit down, recover, get up, walk again. Fine. Totally fine. 20 seconds later, same thing happened again. So they said there was something in the blood flow to my legs that wasn't quite right that they needed to to fix. So they uh, let me go home because they said, like, you're gonna recover better at home. You yeah. have to come back and get the procedure done on your leg. So they did the first procedure, went home, same thing. Walk around the kitchen, into the dining room, kitchen, do it two times, shot. Okay, let's do it again. So, like a week later, I go back in there again and they do it. Same thing. Come oh back my home, gosh. Like, yeah. So I'm just like, God dang. Yeah. God. You know it just sucks. You can't. You just can't walk anywhere. You're like 20, and when you're walking, you're fine. It's just after 20, 30 seconds, you're you're fatigued. Your legs are fatigued. So, the third time, Doctor Dake uh, uh, said, "Okay, let me." He's trying to figure stuff out. He's like showing me this. Uh, he's like drawing stuff on a piece of paper, like he's doing a football play, right? And he's like, "Okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this." I like, "All right, cool. Let's let's do it." So I went in there for the third time, and did it, and. Uh, a couple days later I got up walk, and I was able to walk uh, as much as I wanted as much as you know uh, I was still not in great shape at the time but I could walk for a minute, two minutes, two and a half minutes and I just like literally cried like I was yeah. like oh my gosh I can walk my legs <laughs> are working I remember going out and walking around the block a couple times and it was during that uh, those horrific fires in the, in oh, the Bay yeah. Area where basically was covered in smoke, and, then you know, soot everywhere, and I didn't even care, I'm like, I'm yeah. going to walk around the block, I, go, I can yeah. walk, I, yeah. I, it's amazing, I'm breathing in soot, and I'm like, totally pumped, I'm like, this is incredible, I get to walk around, walk around yeah. the block again, so, uh, yeah, but that was, and then after that, just a slow rec- recovery process, but, uh yeah, it was... It was a difficult time, probably more so for my wife than than for me because she had to deal with, you know, the recovery and just I think mentally it was really oh, tough. I could only imagine. Her. Yeah, watching me go through uh, all the things I went through. For me, I have a personality that I don't really uh, get affected by a lot of things. I just kind of take it as they come and Whatever happens, happens, and we move on and 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 deal with the next thing and keep going, you know, get through the day and then go to the next day and we're good. But, you know, for her, seeing me one way pretty much my entire life, you know, yep. uh, strong, uh, a professional athlete, and then here I am. I was down to, like, 250. I, I don't know how many, much weight I lost, probably 50 pounds a month right. pretty much because I don't know what happened. I don't know if, like, all the internal – recovery just eats up the calories and just everything you put in your body goes to recovering your body but yeah yeah i mean I, I looked in the mirror one time i was like geez because it was, yeah. was kind of scary like you always want to lose weight but I, I i thought i just looked sickly yeah you know, yeah my face drawn in i, I it just because i always right now i'm probably about 270 so i was even 20 pounds lighter than i am now yeah. I think it I was probably up to three hundred, uh, but two seventy is a good weight for me. But two fifty, I always thought I wanted to get back to two fifty. I looked at myself; I was like, "Good night." Nah. I look like a marathon
1: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like,
0: yeah. yeah, like, yeah. So, I look like if I was walking down the street, some somebody would throw me a burger. Like, dude, grab, <laughs> grab, a meal. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was tough, but it was tough. Like I said, I think it was tougher for for, uh, for my wife to have to deal with watching me go through it, and then the anxiety of dealing with the, just the whole thing of the hospital to going to Stanford, to going through the surgery, to going through all the uh, surgery slash procedures uh, on my legs to get me up and walking again. And then after that, you know, I slept downstairs, our bedroom's upstairs. I slept downstairs for probably a month because I'd wake up every single night at around 2, 230 and just be drenched in sweat, drenched so much so that I started wearing, started wearing a T-shirt to bed because that just it'd be easier just to take the T-shirt off, than do you know go to the other side of the bed or just take a towel and lay it down. Where because I mean when I'm talking drenched, the the sheets were just wet. Like, well, why? Just put them, why? Yeah, put I don't know. I'm guessing just because my body was recovering. Mm. And it was like, Fighting. It was working while I was sleeping. Yeah. So, but it was brutal. It took, uh, you know, and, and then taking showers, you know, you have to you sit down because you're kind of weak, you know, obviously falling down. So you had get like a little plastic chair in there. You sit down so you could take, like everything was just way more of an effort than stuff you don't even think about doing uh, on a normal day-to-day basis. So, you know, but you just, you just grind through it. It's like, okay, this is the way it is. This is what I have to deal with. And then, uh, and then move on. Yeah. I
1: feel like that's what one of the, when those things happen, man, what I'm hearing, man, the body, people take advantage of how their body works. I mean, like we yeah. walk through our day, like right now I walk through my day. I lift, lift my hands. I run, I work out, you know, I'm, I'm, taking showers, standing up, I'm, I'm making food. I walk whenever I, want. I I mean, my wife and I do five, 10 miles a day in a weighted vest, right? Like we walk constantly, yeah. but to not even be able to go 20 steps or 20 seconds yeah. without your legs, just completely shutting down. It just shows you how intricate everything in your body is, how it works, how it functions. And you can't take yeah. advantage of that. Like you've got to take care of yourself. But going through it, I know you said you go with the flow, but do you do – has things changed? How do you view life? Do you view – how do you view nutrition? Is it the same thing or is Uh you just like I am who I am or do I – do you have to change stuff?
0: No, No, because the big thing for me is keeping my blood pressure down because I'm probably going to have to get another surgery at some point because there was something else in there and, like, I'm not a a, a Stanford uh, neurosurgeon or cardiologist, uh, so I – but they said – there was something else on the in the aorta, like I don't know if it was a leak or whether it was clotting or whatever. But they're keeping an eye on, and they said they couldn't get to it at the time because they had to take care of the dissection. Yeah, they, sure, that was priority. And that was the only priority. Let's get this taken care of. Make sure he's alive, and then we'll deal with whatever we have to deal with later. So I still have to go in and get a yearly uh, CT scan. So they can look at it, and I just got one about three weeks ago. And Dr. Ling over at Stanford said it looks great. You know, we'll do it again next year. Uh, But so they're keeping an eye on it, so we can be preventative. Like they said, we don't want another trip to the hospital like an emergency trip. We want to keep an eye on it, and then at some point, you know, we'll take care of it. Now the hope is that they'll be able to go in there, uh, the, the, the science and medicine and technology will have advanced to the point where they'll be able to go in there arthroscopically and take care of it. They said, we don't want to open you up again. And I said, well, if you want me to vote, that's my vote. I go, you have two, <laughs> yeah. Votes. Yeah. two votes for not opening yeah. me up yeah. again. One, yeah. one, scar is too, uh, one, one scar is cool. Yeah. Two is uh, one too many. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so with that, it's, it's keeping the blood pressure down. So... Uh, I take meds. I turn into my dad pretty yeah. much overnight. I get my little <laughs> pill thing, you know, my little weekly yeah. pill planner out. and I'm putting all my pills in and doing this. I go, dang, I turn into my dad overnight. I'm doing the <laughs> pill planner thing, the little purple case. Yeah. Uh And then I don't eat as much because I know that part yeah. of keeping the blood pressure down is keeping the weight down. So uh, I walk a lot. I try to, you know, uh, do 20 miles a week, awesome. uh, maybe do like four. Four days of five miles, or five days of four miles, me and my dog, uh, Lulu, who's a little Boston Terrier, uh, we always go on walks together. So I take her and and uh, knock that out and get uh, some of the uh, energy knocked off her, which never works. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Energy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so we go on walks, and yeah, that, I never did that before, but it's, it's just keep the weight down. I haven't really changed my diet, but I have. I mean, we used to have pizza once a week. We'd have pizza on Fridays. It was like Pizza Fridays. Yeah. Now I do it once a month. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't deny myself that stuff. I just limit the stuff. Like uh, I still drink beer, but I like. You know, I drink a lot of water. Yeah. And I don't eat as much. Like I still have some of the things I want, but like for the for the for breakfast, for instance, that's probably the biggest change. I love breakfast. So I love cereal, and I used to just crush. Sugar cereal. Yeah. I mean, people would be appalled at my pregame meals uh, when I played for the Warriors. I mean, it was yeah. just—it was a joke. sometimes I'd have a massive bowl of cocoa puffs and I'd go oh, play boy. a game. Oh, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder why I crashed in like the third quarter. Like, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> <Yeah>. What happened? <laughs> Give me some more cocoa puffs. I got like, the shakes. <laughs> yeah, I need another hit. Another yeah. hit of cocoa puffs. So I love sugar cereal. But I never, I, I mean, I may have sugar cereal, like, again, once a month, once every few weeks, and just have a, a smaller bowl where I used to have a trough of, of cereal. Now I just have a small bowl of cereal and move on. Now I just have an oat bar, a little bit for lunch. And then, uh, you know, I'm a pretty normal, pretty normal dinner. And then that combined with exercise kind of keeps the weight where I, where I need it to be. But other than that, it's just really about those things which is, you know, I never used to do. So that is uh, most certainly a change. But other than that, you know, I still do. I still enjoy the same things that I was yeah. doing. Yeah,
1: you know, walking, man, I- I'll tell you what, I- we love it. I do a yeah. lot of walking. One, I process very, very well when I walk. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, but, you know, I just did a, I did a podcast, I haven't launched yet with a lady called the Mission Walker. And she had cancer. Uh, she's out of San Diego. It's an incredible story. Uh, she's a big, uh, big wig CEO out of San Diego ended up getting, I think I, I don't want to, it was a while ago when I did it, but I'm almost positive. It was gallbladder cancer stage uh-huh. four all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. And she went up to Stanford, same thing. And they had to do all these surgeries on her. They did. She's lost. I think a lung she's lost. A, obviously took the gallbladder out, lost a lung, yeah. had a loss of kidney, all these things. She had so much crazy stuff. They didn't give her much time to live. Her husband was in Europe working And she is, she was recovering at Stanford and she said, well, the doctor said, don't do anything crazy. And he was like, honey, that means don't do anything crazy. So please don't. Well, she, (laughs) she decided to walk. I'm not lying to you. She found this walk that went from San Diego. Like we're talking like 600 some miles. She walked it. And he was like, you remember when they said don't do anything crazy? So she wanted, she called the mission walker. So it was this pilgrimage that she'd go on and she started walking and it was an old trail that you had to hire. She had to hire what they call coyotes, right? She had to hire these cowboys that would go in and they knew the trail and they would cut it and have her walk. And she'd have to find it. She ran into the cartel. They hung with her. She's like, yeah, they were actually pretty nice. They didn't care about me. I was an old lady. I was just walking and they walked and she walked to this mission, but then she found out the actual trail goes from, I think, above Napa, and it's marked by bells, but it goes down through, um, it's a famous trail that goes through California. It's where all the all the monks and stuff walked, the Catholic priests, they'd walk from, and they were marked uh, down through San Luis Obispo, the whole place, it's 1,600 miles, she walked it. Wow. Well, the thing is, is wow. she and she's still alive. And the thing is, she went back, and they cannot find her cancer. And all she did was walk. And the oxygen, and she says, Jeremy, I have one lung, but my lung is so large because of all the walking, and I have to carry that it expanded. So it's the size of two. And she goes, all I do is walk, and I literally, and she looks, and she's sitting in my brewery. She walked into my yeah. brewery, her, I kid you not. She walked in my brewery, and she said, I've, I heard I was supposed to talk to you. I'm like, Okay. She's like, well, my name's so and so, Mission Walker, and she said I'm walking. And her, oh, her name's right here. It's great. It's uh, Littlefield Sunbee is uh, Eddie Little Eddie Littlefield Sunbee. Yep, Eddie Sunbee. It's called the Mission Walker. and she did the El Camino Trail, and it's literally okay. from Sonoma to downtown the Baja Peninsula, all the way down. That's wow. how far. And she said Jeez. she said right now she's doing the old Texas Trail which is like the 18, whatever, 60, whatever, the 1873 yeah. movie show that was out with, you know, Tim McGraw. Well, she starts in Houston and goes all the way up to El Paso, and it goes right through Bernie. And then it comes over, and I'm like, well, how do you follow it? She goes, I don't know. I just walk it and figure it out, and then I have to go through people's land, and I got to ask permission. I walk across her ranches. She finds it, and she walked it, and she's like, actually, I'm just here on a break, and her hus- my husband follows me in a car. And I did the whole podcast with her on a cell phone. She was standing on someone's ranch on the trail and I did the entire podcast, but she she looks young, vibrant, no cancer, and does these massive thousand miles and walks every bit of it. She doesn't get help. She has a walking stick wow. and man, her studies are showing walking is incredible for the body, the health of the body, really? the mind, the heart, the soul. So it's just really cool. And if you think about it, like think about everything you just did, you walked. You want to walk every day. Like you don't run, you yeah. walk, you know, like, yep. and I just think it's, in, and whenever they say when you're, when you're, when you're hurt or when you're sick or when you're covering, go yeah. on walks, move the blood, yeah. pump it through your body. Like people don't do it enough, man. And, and so sometimes I think that it just wakes up. I think our body wakes us up. It says, man, you're complacent. You got to help yourself out here. You know? And I think you, got, I see that as that i see it as a miracle yeah. for you. It's like, you could have died. You should have died probably. And your heart just said, no, I'm going to hold in there a little longer. And your, your mind and your family are willing it. And it's like, no, no, we're going to help you out. And now you just start thinking about life differently. You know, do you see life differently? I know you're that you kind of keep going, but how do you see life now? Like you see your bride or you see your kids or do you see it differently now than you did before? Or is it kind of the same with just a little bit different, you know, just like uh, maybe you're thankful for the second chance or do you just see it yeah. completely different?
0: Well, it, it, it's interesting, and I'll lead into something else that happened to us, which is uh, kind of changed everything, too. But, you know, as far as I, I was, it was... I, I I see life basically the same. I've always uh, had a great outlook on life and just enjoyed being around people and, and being around my family and, and, and doing what I do. Like, my life basically is family and sports and, and laughing. I, I love making yeah. people laugh awesome. and I love laughing. So uh, it, it didn't really, it didn't really change for me until a couple years ago. That was actually a, I mean, it was funny because the storm that I dealt with didn't seem like that big a deal. Cause this happening to me. Right. And as I told yeah. people half jokingly, I'm like, look, if I died on the table, I wasn't going to know about it. Yeah, I wasn't going to have to deal with it. The family was going to have to deal with it. And for those reasons, even more so than myself, actually, I'm glad that, because I know I've never really had to deal with that uh, yeah. at, at that point. My dad passed away. But, yeah, he was 79. And, again, he had so many surgeries. And I think he was lucky actually live that long it's always sad to lose somebody but it's easier when you feel like it's the end of a end of a journey and it's probably you know probably about where it should yeah uh and when it doesn't end when it ends before it should those are the ones that that crush you and a couple years ago it was at night and it was god i don't know if i was watching the game probably because that's what i do another phone call this time it was somebody that called lori And Lori yelled down at me that, "Hey, that was Weston." No, that was it wasn't Weston. It was a police officer, at the time, saying that Weston's fiance Brenda was in an ambulance heading toward the hospital, and Mm. that we needed to to get there. And they live out in Patterson, which is about a mile, about an hour from uh, a little over an hour from Alameda. So we didn't really know what was going on. So we all get in the car, Uh, Lori, myself uh Walker, uh, his wife Alisa, and Haley, and we get in there, and 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 Weston calls us from the ambulance, and they're headed to the hospital, and he's in a you know panic, and we don't even know really what's going on, and he said she had stopped breathing, mm. and yeah, this is it's kind of hard for me to talk about. It. Yeah. I'm not really talking about it, but and he didn't know what else was going on that. And she had some kind of episode at the house, and he called the ambulance, and they got there. And they're taking her to the hospital, and that's all I know. So we're just, you know, panicking and kind of freaking out. I'm trying to keep my cool and trying to get the pattern. And then we can find out what's going on a little bit more from from that end. Uh, Her parents were there, uh, Marco and Rosa, and her brother and sister, Junior and Nancy, were there and Grant may have been there or not, but I'm not sure. But anyway, so we get there, and we we don't know what's going on. So we go to the hospital, and uh, so what had happened was she stopped breathing, and then she started breathing again, and then they had to use a machine to get her breathing again. So we're trying to find out what's going on. We're all in this room at the hospital, and come to find out she had a massive brain tumor that no one knew oh. about. Yeah, that no one no one detected. And so they, they said there's nothing they could do about it. They, they, so they flew her to another hospital but they said chances are, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything. So she ended up later on that evening I think it was later on that evening uh, or the next morning passing away.
1: Oh, and, man, I'm sorry yeah. Tober. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that.
0: And, I uh, you know, that. I mean, it, it, it as horrific as it was it was even worse cuz she was pregnant with mm, uh, their second God. child so yeah it was
1: uh yeah yeah it was
0: really really hard and to see you know just go through that for ourselves but then see your son oh my God. go through that that was hard cuz he yeah. was crushed Yeah, he was uh, he was, uh whew, yeah. it was uh yeah just uh trying to make sense of that, and and you know that I, it was like less than one, like way less than one percent, like less than zero zero point one percent of uh, people have uh, those type of, of, of brain tumors. And yeah. the fact that it was never detected, and the fact that you know, and she was, oh man, she was so beautiful and just inside, yeah, the happiest person, always made you laugh always with a smile mm. and you know, Weston loved her so much and we still have her flag yeah. on the outside of the house uh, for her and Ariel. That was yeah. Who that was going to be the name of the baby yeah. uh, another girl. Uh, and then we have a kind of a memorial set up for her on the front table there with candles and her pictures and mm. stuff of her and her friends and family and stuff like that. So, that one where I think yeah. we're still going through some. It was two years, it'd be two years ago in a couple of weeks, and some are going through it. It's it's harder for others because you're talking about, uh you know, Weston, and he has just oh, been, man. he's been amazing because he's not only had to go through this, he's having to raise Camila.
1: Yeah, dad be a dad. You have to be a dad and through his all daughter. this. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, he's he's been with us for the for the last two years. He's uh, him and her are living uh, living with us, and just you know, it was really hard. Obviously for for Weston, of course. Oh, uh, my wife is still kind of going through it. My daughter Haley and Brenda were were really tight, so it was really really hard yep. for her. She. Uh, You know, stop going to school for a little bit so she could help out and just try to deal with her feelings and emotions and trying to trying to get through it. So that was for me. I it was way harder for me because, again, I wasn't going through it. I, you know, I was on I was in it. But, you know, I can't imagine. I knew how we felt. I couldn't even imagine how Marco and Rosa felt. That was their oldest daughter. Yeah. And. And then her brother and her sister, uh, just having to deal with that realization that she's gone, yeah, and she's she's never coming back. And no. you know, it, it, you know, I, I look at her picture mm. every day, mm. and I, I say a little something to her every night before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's been uh, you know, for me, I think the way I look at life, it's been me. I don't know if it's been easier for me to to handle because I kind of look at things as numbers-related. Like, look, there's how many billions of people on the planet, certain percentage are going to be afflicted by this, certain percentage are going to be afflicted by that, and it's a numbers game, and it's just... You know, what you never think when there's a uh, one in five trillion chance of something happening. That means it's going to happen. You just don't expect it to happen to you. That's right. I mean, someone's yeah. going to be affected by it. but And then when it does happen to you, then it's like, my goodness. You know, I used to wonder how people dealt with stuff like this before it actually happened to, to us. And you just lean on each other. Yeah. And you, you try to make it through one day following the next day. And, you know, for me, days, it, they get easier, of course, uh, with time. But it never goes away and it hits you. Like, it doesn't hit me as often as it hits uh, my wife, Lori, maybe Haley, uh, but everyone processes those sort of things differently, and I would tell people that there's no rule book for this, there's no blueprint for this, everyone's going to deal with these type of things differently, and there's no wrong way or no right way to deal with this, Uh, you just, you deal with it. Grief is something that's very personal, and everyone's going to have to deal with it In their own way. Uh, For some, that may mean uh, more time to themselves, more quiet time. For others, it may be laughing more and just trying to, you know, uh, make the best out of just a horrific situation, which is impossible to do. Uh, So, uh, yeah, you know, Weston, and I think Camila, thank goodness for Camila, because I think having Camila in our lives has made everything easier From the standpoint that she is a just a shining light every morning, wakes up, big smile. Yeah, sometimes it takes her a little while to get going. (laughs) (laughs) She's so happy and she's so beautiful. And I know there's, you know, uh, a big part of Brenda in there, and she is with us five days a week, and then she stays with Marco and Rose out in Patterson. Uh, for the weekends, they come pick her up. So she gets both grandparents. And it's uh, it, it just having that energy around the house and having her around the house, I think, has helped everybody. And it's 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 amazing. I marvel at what Weston has been able to do as someone who is now taking on the role of mother and father. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, that's, incre- that's incredible. Uh,
0: and, yeah. And doing <clears throat> it as well. As he's doing it while still having to deal with all this stuff himself. So yeah. I just I couldn't be prouder of him and what he's been able to do and, and, and who he is. I mean, I've always been proud, I've always loved him, but the, to the level now that he's had to deal with this and, and overcome this obstacle so early in his life and doing what he's doing, just doing such a great job of doing it. Yeah. With, uh,
1: pretty awesome yeah yeah no i I, i'm never knew that so i i appreciate you being vulnerable enough to share that story i think when it comes to storms that come upon our lives we talk about that stuff in one thing that we do call it built for the storm because I, i i do truly feel like humans are built for more than they think they're built for yeah however what i do know about buffalo is they run in herds and when the storms hit they actually so they they get these big They have their big necks and their big heads because they plow blizzards. They can plow through the storm because they go at them. But a lot of times they have other buffalo around them either that can go up front, can take over, can help out. And it's because you have to. It doesn't matter how big of a beast you are. You have to be able to have people to help you get through storms. You cannot do it on your own. And to have a family, to have your as a dad, as as your wife, as his mother, grandparents, aunts, sisters man to have that hurt around him is going to help him but man it, it's that's an incredible story and i think he's a hero and i think one of the things he's i i so appreciate is that he's like it's so easy to get bitter angry frustrated yeah. this is unfair i hate this why is this happening to me but i'm sure he's felt that and he should it's 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 yeah, natural yeah. but man for him to focus on being a dad and be able to say man I, my child is super important and i have to be able to I got to be able to raise her because she's got to have a healthiness about her. And I've got to show that I've got to keep her as healthy as possible. And I truly believe that, that you as a family are, are, are doing so awesome that way. And I think it's so cool that you're doing that. And, um, so I appreciate that a lot. I do think it's super awesome. Uh, but I think that a lot of times we go through life, you went through a near death experience, you handled it a certain way, you were strong enough to get through it. And man, you never know, man. I'm I'm obviously a believer in God. That's who I am. But uh, yeah. I, I, I maybe God kept you alive, man, because He was like, man, you got you got, your son's going to about to go through something that he's going to need his dad and his mom and his sister and his and and his and her parents and grandparents. And you guys are around for that, man. And I, and I'm proud of you guys for for weathering that because that's that's something that nobody can prepare for uh, ever, man. So I, I uh, no, you're
0: right. And, and like I say, I just, you know, I find it that I just, when I, when people say, how do you get through that? I just say day to day. Yeah. Like you just, you're, you try to be there for one another and you try to support one another. Uh, and, and everybody handles it differently. Like I handle it differently than, than Lori does. Uh, sure. but Lori's been, you know, a rock star in all this. Uh, has been incredible. Supporting Weston and supporting Camila and then having to do all the stuff that she does around the house, which is too, too numerous to even to to list. Uh, Walker and Elisa don't live, uh, live there. They live about a mile away, but they come over all the time and they watch Camila and they play with Camila and take Camila for walks. So just an incredible uh, uncle and Aunt, and then you know Haley loves her, and she'll give her baths and go play with her and do stuff. So everyone's pitching in. It really is. Uh, it takes a village type mentality that everyone's kind of pitching in. But I mean, make no mistake, Weston does the uh, the bulk of everything that needs to be done. And again, it would be easier. I don't think this situation, as it presented itself, would ever be easy, but to be a to be a single parent, uh, mm. as a first time parent, trying to figure out a role of just a dad, oh, I remember. Man. Well, Oof. you know, you just it's trial and error. What works, what doesn't work. How do I do that? How do I get him to do this? How do I do this? How do we do this? Uh, but now it's not, you know, okay, we got two people to bounce stuff off. He obviously has us, if he ever wants any uh, input, but uh, he's going to raise her how he wants to raise her. And it's it's been incredible to watch. But he has to figure all that out, how to do both roles. And, you know, and then we were talking about this yesterday. Like, just when you think, you know, you, you're getting over the worst of it. You know, at some point, she's going to be going to school and seeing, you know, mommy's dropping oh, everybody off. You you're know, right. And you got to have that conversation mm-hmm. uh, with her. So, you know, this is just something that. It's yep. not, okay, how do we get back to what we were? It's, okay, how do we embrace where we are and then move forward? I like that. I I, I, I still try to be, uh, I, I still think I, I am who I am. Like, I still like to laugh, maybe sometimes too much uh, at the wrong <laughs> moments occasionally, but... You know, again, that's who I am. That's yeah. how I deal with stuff. That's how I like to deal with stuff. I like to always lighten the lighten the mood and get people to laugh and laugh a little bit. You know, some people not as much. I mean, everyone's a little bit different, but uh, everyone's going to handle things differently. But for me, I, I, again, everyone, even if you haven't changed if the people around you have changed a little bit, then you're going to change uh, just yep. kind of by osmosis. And it's hard not to go through something. Like, I could go through the other event. And not change because again i even though i was the one that went through it i wasn't the one that had to deal with it my family specifically Lori, had to had to deal with that and that it was it was a lot harder for her uh to get back from that than it was me and uh i mean i'm 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 super impressed by you know that she's been able to handle that and the event, the, the, the Brenda passing, uh, Brendan Oriole passing that that we all had to do. Is she's had to do two things, which is just incredible to think about that she's been able to to handle that, cope with that, and then kind of keep on uh, moving on. I mean, that is it's super yeah. super impressive. But yeah, it's just that the family. It's like, man, yeah. I, it just it just you know, I'd like about you know four or five years of just like maybe ten of just hey, can we just normal stuff just yeah. like normal normal stuff that happens to to everybody because it was like you know my again my dad passing is 79 but it was just like we kind of counted like okay we had to deal with this we had to deal with this then the two big bombshells and the ultimate uh one that uh, everyone's still kind of dealing with but yeah. yeah i mean we all we all uh, and i'm so happy too that weston was able to you know that we were there and he was able to move in with us. We reconfigured the house. It used to be a bonus room, and we turned it into a bedroom within like three days. One of my friends, Ron Fiore, said, look, I got a bed if you want the bed. I got this, if you need that. Everybody was like, hey, what do you need? We got you. A lot of our friends were like, hey, don't worry about dinner. Don't worry about food. We got you. We're going to put together a dinner tree. And they put together like a month-long dinner tree where every night there was dinner sitting at the uh, front door. We just go out there and get it. And they're like, don't don't come out. Don't say hi. We're just going to drop it off and leave. There you go. And just leave the dishes outside the next day. We'll come We'll come get it. So to have the support of everybody helping us through all that was, uh, was, was pretty amazing stuff. I mean, oh, it really man. was. To it's see awesome. everybody kind of say, hey, we realize what you're going through, uh, and even if we don't, we're here for, we, We're here for you, and what do you need? Just that nothing, and just what do you need, and we're good to go. So, uh, yeah, then he moved in, and we've had him there ever since, and it's just, you know, again, to be able to be with him, I wish he had his old life back, I do, uh, and I wish uh, – uh, I, I mean, if Brenda could be, I, it'd be amazing to see uh, another granddaughter. And, uh, but this is where we're at. This is what we have to deal with. And he's doing an amazing job. And like I said, Camila is just, Camila's helped us get through so, so much just by being, just by being a three year old and being oh, her and awesome. being goofy and being yeah, being funny and, and watching her grow up and all. All that kind of stuff. So it's been uh, it's been pretty awesome uh, to experience that. I wish it weren't that way, but uh, like I said, you don't know what's coming, and you deal with it when it comes, and uh, try to do the best you can.
1: Yeah, man, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I, I appreciate no, it. No worries, uh, man. I think it just brings a lot of you know the humanness to everybody, man. You never know, and you're yeah. not. It doesn't matter how much money you made or didn't made, how successful you are, yeah. you aren't man, life's going to hit you, man. You got to have people around you. You got to have a family, you got to have friends, you got to have a community. So I'm, I'm super thankful that you shared that, uh, that uh, blessed me, man. So thank you for yeah, coming absolutely.
0: on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, I, I figured if I was ever going to tell the story, a built for the storm podcast oh. would, be, would be the uh, perfect time Dude. to, uh, to tell it. You've been dialed into the Built for the Storm podcast with Jeremy Athel. And he strikes out that's four straight for FL. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Athel. If you like what you heard, please like, rate, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify today.
1: Jeremy Athel here for Free Roam Brewing Company. Do you enjoy craft beer? I do. So I started Free Roam Brewing Company. Our logo, environment, and community all reflect the mighty Buffalo, a creature built for the storm. It symbolizes inner strength, perseverance, and a love of freedom. Here at Free Roam Brewing Company, we are determined to strengthen our community through the love of craft beer. Our premium quality lagers and ales reflect the diverse experiences and tastes of our community. In a boundless world of potential beer styles, we cherish the freedom to roam. So if you're in the Burnie area, whether local or passing through, Join us on Main Street and enjoy your freedom. Jeremy Affel here for the Hotel Via. I know you've heard it's at the intersection of sports, technology, and entertainment. But for me, it's my home away from home when I visit San Francisco. I can give you 50 great reasons why I chose Hotel Via, but it's easier for me to say it provides all the comforts of home, family-owned and operated, and, of course, it's across from the beautiful Oracle Park. So when you're coming to San Francisco for business, pleasure, vacation or just coming to a sporting event, check in to the Hotel Via.